0: Hello, welcome to the May 2023 episode of Chattering with ISFM. I'm Natalie Dalgray, Head of ISFM and host of this month's podcast. This month, Sam Taylor interviews the 2022 winner of the JFMS Open Reports Best Practitioner paper, Dr. Daniel Ryan, and they'll be talking about feline spinal disease. We're also featuring our monthly clinical spotlight interview, This month, I'm speaking to Professor Stefano Ramajoli on his Clinical Spotlight article, Medical Control of Reproduction in TOMS, as well as having a wider discussion on the JFMS Reproduction Special Issues that Professor Ramajoli was the guest editor of. We hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, um and... can you
1: tell us a little bit more about the different types of disc extrusion? Because I know particularly your study was special because it it described a particular type of extrusion. But for people like me who are more medics than neurologists, can you tell us generally about the different types and then particularly about your study?
2: We can divide into the vertebral disease as a category into to several different ones. We split it up a little bit further in dogs because we tend to see more different presentations of those. But the three main ones I guess I would consider in cats would be Something like an intervertebral disc extrusion. So that's the ones you may have heard of as like Hansen type 1. So that's what you'd picture a Daxon as having. Um, so that's where you've got herniation or slippage, basically, of the, the pulpy middle. So that nucleus pulposus through the top bit of the disc. And that goes into the vertebral canal and can cause a number of different signs. We've then got an intervertebral disc protrusion. So that's that Hansen type 2. So the one that you tend to think of as maybe a slower chronic progressive type disease. And that's where you've got bulging of that top bit of the disc, so that annulus fibrosis into the vertebral canal, causing that spinal cord compression. And then we've also got another type that's relatively important in cats as well, where we kind of have the acronyms, some of the many acronyms that appear in neurology, and that's an acute nucleus pulposus extrusion, or an ANMPE. And that's where we've got this sort of pulpy bit in the middle, this nucleus pulposus, it explodes outwards, sort of hits the spinal cord and causes a concussive injury, so more like a bruise, with there being very residual, very minimal residual compression, but it's more the contusive damage to the spinal cord itself that, that causes the problem. I guess when we think of the different types that are most common in cats, we tend to think of either an extrusion or an ANMP being the most common.
1: You mentioned there can also be some sinister presentations of spinal disease in cats. And can I just pick you up on that for a moment? Obviously, we're talking about disc extrusion but what type of other causes of spinal disease might you also see in, in cats?
2: I think one of the top things that, that we always have to have on our list with the cat who's presenting with a myelopathy, so a problem with the, the back legs or so spinal cord problem, we would quite often when we've got a cat who's got a progressive disease, have something like a neoplasia on the list. So quite up there, one of the most common causes of being diagnosed, probably similar to your internal medicine, would be lymphoma. So I guess that doesn't, typically discriminate in an age, they can be at any age, and that, that would be with a Progressive sign of of a spinal cord disease. We can also see other types of tumours as well. So some of the peripheral nerve sheath tumours or meningiomas as well. But we can also have a number of other sort of non-neoplastic diseases. So we can see a vertebral canal stenosis, so that happens in some British Shorthairs. We've got a narrowing of the vertebral canal itself, which pinches the spinal cord, as well as sometimes things like FIP as well can present just having a spinal cord component, but less commonly.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I uh, recently done a bit of work on FYP, and we did have the odd case um, with a spinal presentation. So that's a good point, a good differential to to consider. In general, how do cats with disc disease present? Um, do we expect the neurological deficits that we might in dogs, or what's your experience of cats that are coming in with disc disease?
2: We tend to to try and have this five finger rule. So that's where we try and describe and summarize an animal's clinical presentation using five different variables and that can really help with our clinical reasoning so those five things that we consider covers the onset so is it acute or chronic the progression is it getting worse staying the same or getting better is it painful or is it not painful is it lateralized so affecting one leg more than the other and also it's localization finally so is it for example t3l3 or is it more l4s3 then if we consider the those three main types of disc disease that we just talked about an intervertebral disc extrusion that typically tends to be acute so over a few days to, to subacute or just more than a few days it tends to be progressive and they're um, often painful as well um, however I do find it really hard to judge pain in cats I think they can be so difficult to read and some cats will be overtly painful but others with what you think is a painful condition what you diagnose with a painful condition really don't show it outwards to you so I think it's kind of the most non-specific of all of that, that part of the five finger rule, when the clinical signs with an extrusion can be really variable. So sometimes it could be just pain and they can progress through to show signs of paresis or ataxia or paraplegia. So sometimes there's signs of a myelopathy there, but, but not always. Um, other sorts of presentations for other types of discs, when we've got a protrusion, that's typically a chronic, progressive, and non painful condition, although in some small cases it can be painful. Typically, you would see an ataxia or a paraparesis there, maybe in an older cat, that it's not particularly painful. And then finally, we have the ANMPE, so that acute non compressive nucleus pulposus extrusion. The most characteristic finding of this condition is we've got a per acute onset, so really, really sudden. So, for example, the cat has been absolutely fine and then it has come back like this or it's been absolutely fine you've turned away and then, then the cat's been found like this and quite typically with an ANMTE there is a suspected trauma so sort of 60-70% of those cases will have a suspected or a known trauma in that case we may see a lateralisation of signs so one leg much more markedly affected than another one.
0: And now over to Professor Ramajoli to talk about feline reproduction. Your, your article really talked exceedingly well about some of the concerns that historically we've had with using progesterones in cats um, and the sort of higher dose regimes that may have led to a lot of those side effects. So the article sort of really advocated, I think, the sort of lower dose daily treatment. Do they still need to be given once a day? Is that the safest way to do it rather than maybe a weekly higher dose protocol?
3: The only studies that we have on the weekly protocols were done with a slightly higher dosage. So the very low dosage that we're currently using on a daily base, it's never been tried on a weekly base. That's actually an interesting question, but I think that with the current formulation, with the current oral drops formulation, I think it would be unlikely that it worked on a weekly base the one that was working well with the weekly administration was the pill. But now that pill, in countries where it is still marketed, it's a 2.5 milligram pill. And 2.5 milligram per week is not as low as we would like it to be. And that dosage, I think, has been demonstrated to be safe for up to a maximum of 30 weeks. We should probably try and decrease the dosage by half or maybe by... 25% and try if it works, but we need to do some research on that.
0: Yeah. And th- I was thinking, I guess, especially for ease of owner administration, once a day compared to once a week is, is obviously a little bit easier. So it would yeah. be interesting to see. I think there's obviously still a lot to learn on these drugs, and historical knowledge is very helpful, but also with the variation in dosages, I guess there. But
3: you know, from a practical standpoint, if you're using a daily treatment, I think if you miss a day, nothing happens. Yeah,
0: it's true. Oh. <laughs> you miss a week, something might go wrong. <laughs> yeah. In terms of male cats with the the implants, how would you monitor them if, if let's say, there's a reason why a surgical neutering is not going to be an option, but the owners want to have sort of continued suppression of some of those more tomcatty-type signs, yeah. how do you monitor them to determine maybe when a, an implant needs to be replaced?
3: Well, the easiest thing would be to take a caliber such as this mm-hmm. and measure their testicles. You know, because tomcats cats' testicles decrease by about 50% during treatment, and then they start growing back as soon as the implant effect starts to wane. So, you know, using this, even owners can do this, but uh, sometimes cats don't like to be handled by the owner to do those type of things. So... I mean the veterinarian can easily do that and as soon as you see that the testicle starts growing again that means that you know that cat uh, very soon is going to start roaming and mounting and and fighting again
0: okay no that that makes sense would you recommend measuring them on say a monthly basis or a... yeah
3: not more often otherwise you start you, you risk missing you know minor changes
0: Mm -hmm. And we sort of talked about or touched on it earlier around maybe not delaying puberty in cats intended for breeding, male cats intended for breeding. But if, say, it's a male cat not intended for breeding, but maybe there's a medical reason why surgical castration is not an option, what age would you feel comfortable using a GnRH implant in those cats?
3: Well, certainly a GnRH agonist can be used pre-pubertly. So, you you know, you can start... Basically, whenever you want, uh, if that cat is not intended for breeding and and his or her um, reproductive system does not need to be working at any time, you can start whenever you want, even three three or four months of age.
0: Okay, so you can go quite young. If if let's say you have a, a queen that you really want to to prolong estrus suppression with, so maybe she's not intended for breeding, but for health reasons, we can't can't new her. What would be your preferred method for doing that?
3: If, if it's a reproductive control that needs to be done for life, I would certainly go with GnRH agonists. Mm-hmm. There are data already that they can be used sequentially two to three times in cats, you know. So like two to three years is probably safe. And actually we've just started a study dealing with chronic deslorelin treatment in cats. So we're looking at health of both toms and queens treated for prolonged periods of time with deslorelin. And I do think that that's the way to go. I mean, that's the safest option.
0: If you're an ISFM member, you can hear more from Stefano with his full interview being available on the ISFM members podcast access this, please visit portal.icatcare.org. As well as the podcast, ISFM veterinary members can also access all the other ISFM member benefits, including our 2020, 2021 and 2022 Congress recordings, monthly webinars and clinical clubs, the discussion forum and much, much more. If you're looking for more CPD in June, we have several open access webinars. The first is from IDEX, Diagnostic Approach to Chronic Feline Emporopathy. And the second is from Bova. Feline Compliant. How to help clients medicate their cats. Keep an eye on ISFM social media for more details. And don't forget, JFMS is now an open access journal. So if you wish to read Professor Ramaginoli's Clinical Spotlight article or any of the other articles in the Reproduction Special Issue, please do follow the link in the show notes. We'll be back again next month with a special episode from the team at iCatCare on cat friendly principles for veterinary professionals. If you don't want to miss it, then make sure you sign up to Chattering with ISFM on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you again next month.